It's Wednesday, December 31st, 2014. There are no more days left in 2014. 2014 is full. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, and I am done with my Fitbit. Get up now. Three days I've been wearing it. This thing stinks. It stinks. You know, the little strap that looks like a watch but it's shaped like LeVar Burton's visor on Star Trek The Next Generation. It counts your steps, counts how many hours you sleep and your water intake. And then the theory is you either become a better person or uncomfortably avoid making eye contact with your own wrist. Well, anyway, I, I should also say, I don't mean to unfairly malign the Fitbit because my Fitbit is not even a Fitbit. Mine is of the brand called Pivotal Living. So I have a PivLiv. I have no idea if they actually call it a PivLiv, but I call it a PivLiv. They should call it a PivLiv. I'm sure in-house they call it a PivLiv. And the PivLiv costs only 12 bucks, but I did get $12 worth of frustration. Okay, first of all, it counts your steps. No, it doesn't. It counts your arm swings. So where this fails me is that I bike to work most days, and now I got to swing my arm rapidly to get credit for every time I pump the pedals. That's inconvenient, also maybe dangerous. Today, I was on an elliptical machine, which was convenient because the machine counts steps. So I checked to see how the PivLiv was doing. Two source confirmation, journalist workout. The elliptical said I strode 3,658 times, and it was right. That is an exact accurate count because every time I moved, the number, I was looking right at it, it inched up by one. But the PivLiv said I stepped only 3,050 times. So I figured out what was happening. There were times when I was striding, but my hands were off the handles, and I didn't get credit because probably I was futzing with the PivLiv. The count was off. Then there's the issue of hydration. I don't believe in hydration. Well, I believe in not being dehydrated, but this whole drink half a gallon, drink a gallon a day, Marie and I talked about this. That's bullshit. And what about the water content of diet soda or beer or iced coffee or another beverage that I've heard exist? I don't know. I only drink those three. And what about the water content of sponge cake? There is no sponge cake button on the PivLiv. I guess I could say PivLiv and let live. Instead, I'm leaking this one to the tabloids. Headline, Fitbit split, Fitbit's the pits, host can't commit, quits and snit. Today on the show in the spiel, the gentleman of the year will be awarded. But first, a special single interview and a special announcement. We have made many announcements in this space, and these announcements might be serious, they might be fun, they might be thought-provoking, but it couldn't be said, it heretofore couldn't be said of any of them what we can say now that they might be giants. Left sock, right sock, t-shirt, wristwatch, bus pass, laptop, house key, cell phone. I got getting up so down, I can do it in my sleep. I got getting up so down, I can do it in my sleep. Get up now. Twenty fifteen is upon us, or depending on download speed, it's now, it's now. Therefore, it is the twenty-fifth anniversary of this. It's a brand new record for nineteen ninety. There might be giants brand new album. Flood was They Might Be Giants major label debut. It's the only platinum album in their sixteen studio album catalog. But we want to get antediluvian here and go back to the first two albums, before the first two albums even, and talk about a They Might Be Giants institution, Dial-A-Song. Dial-A-Song was an answering machine-based technology from the 80s, and now, this year, 
on this show, They Might Be Giants and The Gist are resurrecting Dial-A-Song. Here's how it will work. Every Monday in 2015, They Might Be Giants will use The Gist as a platform for a world debut of an original composition. That composition can be accessed starting Tuesday through a -a dial-a-song number. It's still only one answering machine or the 2014 equivalent of an answering machine. Dial-a-song is a number I called as a 16-year-old kid living in Oceanside, New York. Saw it on the back of the Pink album. Had to dial it. And every week you'd call in and they'd play a new song for you. And when I say they play a new song for you they would play it just for you there was only one caller allowed at the line because originally it was an actual answering machine now it's something akin to an answering machine dial a song is back and they might be giants are here the johns how are you guys we're well great to be here so tell me about the origin of dial a song and it always confused me because there was always the word the punk scene and i didn't understand how it fit in with the punk scene or how it was you guys trying to be a little bit apart from the punk i don't, scene. I don't know it whether was... it related in any way to the punk scene having a answering machine it happened that the technology was created exactly in time for us to begin launch our dial song that the consumer grade answering machine had appeared probably two years earlier or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think what it is, it's, it's the DIY mm-hmm. idea. Oh, uh, that's punk. Yeah. Uh, yeah mm-hmm. it's very, and, and also, just the it was the era. I mean, when we sort of started up in New York, the thing on the music scene was no wave music, which is one of the smallest asterisks in <laughs> New York music culture, um, which is basically a whole lot of screaming. And we were actually quite influenced by that in our formative year or two. We experimented a lot with with screaming just because it was kind of the thing. I mean, I guess I realize now it's just like having an asymmetrical hairdo or, or something. You know, you just do it because people are doing it. So this was around like 1985. 81, 81 82. And then uh, I think the phone line actually started in 83. That's correct, yes. So that's there were some wilderness years. There. Yeah. So it predated... Put your hand inside the puppet head. It predated mm-hmm. the first album. Yeah. Yes, yes. Although the, all the material that appeared on those first albums had their original appearance on Dial-A-Song. They, they, they filtered through Dial-A-Song before they made it to our albums and our live performances. Every song? Pretty much, yeah. It was like the clearinghouse. There were a lot of songs that Especially never, the good ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of songs that never even went any further than Dial-A-Song. You know, so that. wait, so how did I add two songs in me and I just wrote the third? Was that the third ever song on Dial-A-Song? Uh, that I, doesn't no, make sense. No, no, That would it be wasn't. a good story. It wasn't. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Yes, actually. <laughs> we knew. That was far-sighted. Yeah. There's only two songs in me, and I just wrote the third. Don't know where I got the inspiration or how I wrote the words. Spent my whole life just digging up my music's shallow grave for the two songs in me and the third one I just made. I was actually walking down uh, North 6th Street in Williamsburg the other day, walking past the very first apartment that I stayed at in that neighborhood where I wrote that number three song, I could not believe the transformation. I mean, it was the most glittering. The the hip wazee was in full effect. And And I just flashed on how there used to be cows having their skin torn off them you know, in the very same place. We, yeah, I think goes... there, were, there were a lot of locations in early songs that were about it being a place of urban blight because there's also a reference to Third Street in Puppethead. Oh, right, in Park Slope. In Park Slope, which is one of the most expensive places to get <laughs> yeah. a house now. As your body floats down thirsty with the burn smell factory closing up. Is it sad to say you will romanticize all the things you've known before? It was not 
John and I lived on Third Street in 1981, and half of the buildings were literally burned out. They were husks, and and you know the rest of them were terrifying. The whole street was, you know, it was it was there was gunshots. There was yeah. So I, as you as you guys were young musicians, the second best way to one day attain fortune is to be a very successful band. The best way would have just been to buy those crappy apartments you were squatting in, essentially. Oh, oh no, God. kidding! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Which we could have probably had for not much, <laughs> not much dough. So dial a song was was it to help the audience more or to help you? I think it was just sort of a general win, 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 win situation. I mean, one of the nicest things about it for us as a band in the world is it immediately, it just made us a singular singular thing. Like we weren't really, even though we were coming out of the East Village, which was very much a trendy place to be as a, as a rock band, uh, it just put us in our own category. And, and people's expectations... I mean, I remember having conversations with people where they didn't realize that the They Might Be Giants, the people who did Dial Song were They Might Be Giants, the band. Well, didn't you keep your, oh, they didn't know the band, but didn't you keep They Might Be Giants, the name, out of it for a little while? We like didn't have it... anything in it at all because uh, the, because <laughs> our main, no in it to keep out our, of it. Our main uh, way of advertising, the number, was putting it on the back page of the Village Voice, which was a hugely popular classified section that was very, very affordable. It cost $15 a week. But if we... If it appeared to be advertising a commercial enterprise, it was $50 a week. A personal classified <laughs> was $15 a week. And I always wondered if they checked. And one day I actually plugged the show that we were doing live on the phone line, and I got a phone call from the people at the Village Voice. And I was thinking, Do they actually, they actually are checking up Busted. on Busted. They're yeah. on it. Yeah. Back the, the, that, <laughs> yeah. was, that was when the Village Voice was making money. We staffed. want our $35. <laughs> right. <laughs> Knocking on your door, and did the it took incoming messages? There are some famous. Yes, didn't someone yes. call you like Fat Dan Aykroyd or something? Hey, how come the big fat guy never talks? How come it's always the little scrawny guy who gives the information at the end to the tape? I want to hear the big fat guy who looks like Danny Aykroyd, only fatter. One of my strongest memories which happened over and over again, would be to to record a new song, put it in the machine, and the call would come in, and I would just, I would just monitor how quickly someone would hang up. Because <laughs> the truth is, if it, if it was not a successful song, just in an immediate way, they would just, it would just re- return. You could tell, I mean, people would, wouldn't bother listening. Right? Would that influence which songs you kept off albums? Like, this was a really unpopular dial-a-song I, I, I think it was a little bit hard to monitor based on you know, because somebody be, could be calling having, and in fact, a lot of people called having no idea what it was. You yeah. Know, really or their boss came around and was like, "What? Who are you talking to? Yeah, why, are you, exactly. why are you still? Why are you yeah. on the phone still? You know, I mean. Yeah. But but at the same time, I think I think it did sort of focus us up in general about uh, making the words really present, making songs a little bit more graphic. The things that worked on Dial Song were very very simple. You know, uh, you could get away with just a, a single instrument and a vocal, and that right. might be the most. And the lyrics effective. would be. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. You know. <laughs> Please, wait for the good part. Wait for the good part. <laughs> so there aren't many songs that became part of the regular rotation because crowd reaction was great? We did a song in our show in the early days called You'll Miss Me, which was the most screamy song in the world. Oh, 
in the context of the live show, it totally went over. Like, people were just, wow, these guys are so committed to this kind of crazy, misguided performance. They're really putting it out there. It's so physical. It's so wild. And, like, the imagery is so nuts. When we actually did finally did the recording, we didn't even know how to approach it because it was just... It really was like, ah, you know, no, no it was much, much too much for anyone. I mean, we, we sort of struggled with it was in our repertoire for years before it ended up on the second album. And as a recording, it was almost impossible to capture anything good about it. You know, one song of yours that really that I got into because I saw the live show is the Alphabet of Nations. I love how you do that live. And now I have kids and Milo, my oldest son, knows every one of those countries. We got into flags because of that song. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, absolutely. And Great. I've talked to Because other I love parents. the flag segment of this podcast. Yeah, vexillology is yes. largely influenced by the Alphabet of Nations. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. That is... Yes. Uh, and I was like, I've gone to heaven. And it also made me realize the... Yes, I perhaps intuited that there were no nations that began with X. But you would bowl me over and bowl most people over if you tell, ask them, give me a country that starts with W. And there are none. Algeria, Bulgaria, Cambodia, Dominica, Egypt, France, the Gambia, Hungary, Iran, Japan, Kazakhstan, Libya, and Mongolia, Norway, Oman, Pakistan, Qatar, Russia, Suriname, a member of our band did propose a flag design for the country West xylophone, yeah. uh, which I think included one stripe that was clear. So it'd have some, like, you know, clear plastic. Oh, it's not a bicolor. It's an invisible tricolor. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like Wonder Woman's. Yeah. The invisible jet, which brings a lot of problems with itself. But I got into that because of the live performance before I even had kids. And then when I had kids, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me go listen to the one, two, threes and the ABCs. And I wonder if you have a fan base with a little bit of a gap in age, because before you did the kid albums, maybe your fan base was aging. And I know you've always been popular on college campuses, but now so many kids are into you. But I wonder if there is like a spot of around a seven-year age gap where there's actually a trough. I wish I, that they sounds, might be giants' uh, popularity. That sounds likely. I, we've never we've never seen the graph, and of course, it's always moving. You know, it's gently moving yes. upwards. So I can only assume that some of those kids who listened to Know in the year 2000 when it came out are now in our adult category. So I don't know how that works. With the, I mean, I, yeah, I imagine there's some age that's like it's not cool to listen to us anymore, but it's going to be it's again. It's 15 and a half. Right. No, I, I, we're pretty much using the you know the Burl Ives marketing plan. <laughs> yeah. you, an animatronic snowman is the next iteration. I, another question about dial a song. So this brings to mind questions of you know, editing and working over songs and making them better through the editing process. Does that happen a lot with you guys? It does now. When we started, we were recording on magnetic tape, you know, and that dictated a lot of the process for us. And now, um, you know, we, we moved into this thing, which I guess is the way everybody works, where the demo and the finished product, there's no division between the The demo begins and then seamlessly evolves into the actual recording. And maybe there might even be some elements from the demo that make it all the way to the, to the, to the end, to the record, which is interesting for us because it used to be that you'd finish the demo and then you have to start over to do the recording for the album. And 
Does that mean you're less prolific? Does is that at all a referendum no, it on means how prolific each song you are? is? Twelve songs. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You could strip away the layers like a redwood. Right. right. Well, yeah. I should point out we're in a in a frenzy of writing songs at the moment. I mean, it feels like we've never been busier writing songs. Well, I uh, wonder about that. I mean, you know, Dylan is of course older than you guys, but as 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 just bands, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. As bands age, they definitely become, or as I think all writers age, they become less prolific. There is with mathematicians, I think that prime age is like 25 with rock bands it's probably in their 20s but that's probably for a lot of reasons also haven't seen much slowing down from you guys was wondering how it felt like on the inside um i think that, that there's an element to what we do where we're maybe borrowing a little bit not to sound like it has to be some high tony thing because i really i'm i don't like the idea that you know we we are the pretentious version of a rock band. But I think that the model for us is probably closer to somebody who writes books where they get to live to be 80 and they're still still working and they're still considered completely legit, you know, that just because you have like a, you know, an old man's uh, hormonal levels, that doesn't mean you can't come up with good ideas. And that, that's how I like to think about that's it. That's true, I but think, it is ha- it has been rare. It has been rare in the world of rock. I mean, I have a friend who strongly feels that rock bands should just make one album and stop. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I've had conversations with her about this and I, I don't know it's a why terrible idea. I don't know yeah. why she thinks that's not going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, also that like how many bands had the great first album and didn't do anything I mean it seems like you could argue maybe that that five would be a good, an appropriate number. Or th- I just or thought considering three, my feelings would harsh. be enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, what is the number for Dial a Song? The number uh, is 844-387-6962. There is a actual, a, bu- a beautiful new website at dialasong.com that will be compiling all the songs on Tuesday mornings after their debut on the gist on Monday afternoons. That's amazing. I'm so glad you've brought the songs to us, the debut songs, uh, to our show. I recommend that everyone go out and also call up Dial Song, though it's one person at a time still. Yep. Yeah, we're not allowing multiple people to access this. I tried to figure out, you know, is there a mnemonic device or at least the numbers on your phone? Could it spell something? I'm sure you've done this. Fur Oxma? That's not a good one. No. one 844 Nah, still doesn't sound good. No, there's nah. nothing. There's nothing there's there. There's nothing there. Just listen to him on The Gist every Monday. John Flansburg, John Linnell, thank you guys so much. Thank you so thank much. You. I wasn't missing And now the spiel, a gentlemanly demeanor. 
A couple of weeks ago on NPR, sports commentator Frank DeFord tossed off this remark upon contemplating Sports Illustrated's Sportsman of the Year Award. The term seems so archaic that it would be as if Time Magazine annually chose a Gentleman of the Year. Well, Time Magazine won't do it. They refuse. They name a person of the year, though sometimes it's people of the year, and sometimes it's you or me or whatever that piece of tinfoil was that they put on the cover of their magazine a few years ago. So the gist has taken it upon itself to name the gentleman of the year. Our criteria. One, the gentleman of the year needn't be a man. Two, the gentleman of the year cannot be tinfoil, even if it's shaped into a swan or a crane or the effigy of the actual human that we're about to name as gentleman of the year. That's about it. I define gentleman as poised, humanitarian, thoughtful, dignified, important, respectful, life-affirming, but in no set order and with no set formula. So I will now tell you of my finalists for gentleman of the year. First up, Hosanna in the highest. Si una persona es gay, es cerca al Señor, es a buena voluntad, aquí soy yo para judicarla. It's the Pope. He's saying, if you're gay, who am I to judge? That quote was actually said in 2013. But Pope Francis has continued on in this way, reforming the curio, that's the Vatican's bureaucracy, emphasizing the poor, calling up individual parishioners on the phone, defanging what could have been a stinging report targeted at America's nuns. Instead, the Pope encouraged the nuns, engaging in diplomacy the papacy, and he's an adept politician, and he doesn't contradict church doctrine. In fact, you could argue he's elevating it. It's just that his choices of what to emphasize and his dignified, dare I say, gentlemanly way earns him a spot on our list. One thing the Pope didn't do, however, was to get drafted by the NFL. This guy did. To anyone out there, especially young people, they don't, feeling like they don't fit in and will never be accepted. Please know this. Great things, I think, I'm sorry. Great things can happen when you have the courage to be yourself. Thank you and God bless. That's Michael Sam, the first athlete to be drafted in a major North American professional team sport who was out as a gay man. He never saw the field this year. He was cut by the Rams. He was picked up by the Cowboys. Maybe he's just good, but not good enough to be in the NFL. But the way he conducted himself through this whole journey was above reproach. He gains the edge on this list of the year's greatest gentlemen. Next, Nashville Police Chief Steve Anderson. When an angry constituent essentially asked Anderson, why aren't the Nashville police cracking down on these protesters? Anderson answered him in detail. He didn't have to do that. And if he did do it, he could have just hidden behind bureaucraties or been dismissive. No. Anderson engaged and explained. So when the writer wrote, these actions are putting the department at disharmony from the majority of its citizens, Anderson answered, well, I don't doubt that you sincerely believe that your thoughts represent the majority of citizens. I would ask you to consider the following before you chisel those thoughts in stone. As imperfect humans, we have a tendency to limit our associations with other persons to those persons who are most like us. He went on to say, it's only when we go outside our comfort zone and subject ourselves to the discomfort of considering thoughts we don't agree with that we could make an informed judgment on any matter. And then when the letter writer said he couldn't give a good answer to his son, a lad who was brought up to respect the police about why the police weren't cracking down, Anderson said, 
First, it's laudable that you're teaching your son respect for the police and other authority figures. However, a better lesson might be that it is the government the police serve that should be respected. The police are merely a representative of a government formed by the people for the people, for all the people. For this high-minded response, Steve Anderson is a finalist for Person of the Year, as is this U.S. Senator. I'm very ambitious, I'm very aggressive, but I do it in a really nice way. <laughs> but I, you need that passion if you're gonna get anything done. If you're not willing to fight for someone or fight for an issue, it's not gonna happen. Kirsten Gillibrand, I said, gentleman of the year doesn't have to be a man. She championed the cause of investigating sexual assault in the military. She led investigations into sexual assault on campus. And she told us about the demeaning comments that often came her way from fellow senators. Like when a fellow member of the Senate grabbed her and said, now don't lose too much weight. I like my girls chubby. There was a slight kerfuffle blaming Gillibrand for not naming the senator who made the accusation. But I think she comported herself well. Therefore, we yield to the gentle lady from New York. But the actual bona fide winner of the first Gentleman of the Year award is like the Pope ahead of state. He did, in the spirit of Michael Sam, champion the cause of gay rights. He did, like Kirsten Gillibrand, get a kind of skeevy vibe from Daniel in a way. All right, that's just speculation. He is outgoing Uruguay President Jose Mujica. Gentleman of the Year Jose Mujica presided over a strong economy, extended civil rights in his home country, reached out to others by, for instance, accepting the transfer of Guantanamo detainees. He is the poorest leader in the world. Our Gentleman of the Year plans on opening an orphanage upon retirement, and he is actively trying to redefine the word gentleman. Speaking at a regional summit in January, Mujica complained... We all had to dress up like monkeys with ties. We have to dress like English gentlemen. That's the suit that industrialization imposed on the world. He was wearing a rumpled shirt with an open collar. That, to me, bespeaks conviction and integrity, even if the suit is not bespoke. And that is why Uruguayan President Jose Mujica is the GIST's Gentleman of the Year for 2014. That's it for today's show. Should just producer Andrea Salenzi be forgot and never brought to mind? Should managing producer of Slate Podcast Joel Meyer mark his territory through urinating, defecating, and scratching, rubbing, and biting trees? We'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. And surely Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, will be your pint stoop. And surely I'll be mine. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. You can go to iTunes and subscribe. We twahe run on the braise. Run about our daily email, slate.com slash gist email. And we ask that you sign up for the app, yo, and subscribe to podcast. We're on facebook.com slash slate gist. Sin old lang syne. Email us at the gist at slate.com. We'll be there for a morning sun till dine. But that's it for 2014. We'll see you through in time. And remember, starting in 2015, every Monday, the debut of a They Might Be Giants song, and we'll take a right good Willie Watt. That's right. We will take a right good Willie Watt for old Lang Syne. Thanks for listening.